This podcast is brought to you by J.P. Morgan Chase's Women on the Move program. Women on the Move is a global initiative designed to help women grow their businesses, improve their financial health, and build their careers. Women on the Move is a core part of J.P. Morgan Chase's mission to build diverse cultures. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the See It to Be It podcast. I am your host, Melinda Garvey. And this week, as every week, we are bringing you another incredible female role model. We know how much you love meeting these women and seeing their past and hearing their stories. So I'm really excited to introduce you to Sam Sutherstein. She is the managing director and head of Women on the Move for J.P. Morgan Chase. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Melinda. Great to be here. Absolutely. Well, I always make everyone do this, and I'm not going to let you be the exception. I love to go way back. I want to know, when you were growing up, what was your big dream? What did you be doing when you grew up? So probably my earliest goal was when I was very young, probably, you know, five or six, I thought I'd be a writer. So I have these pictures of myself at those old typewriters actually typing with, you know, a boyish looking haircut and I would write stories. And I think I really kept to that growing up and as a young adult. And in fact, I was a reporter for the early parts of my career. So I did pursue writing for a little bit in there. Oh, very good. And so how did you veer off the journalism path? So when I started writing professionally after graduating from college, I took a job writing for a newsletter called Technology Transfer Week. Very exciting stuff. Wow. I mean, gosh, I got to go find that somewhere. It sounds exciting. (laughs) I think it's out of print now, but technology transfer is basically about the commercialization of technology from the defense sector, from the military sector into the private sector. And it was actually a very interesting subject to think about. And I never had covered business before. I'd always covered fires and general interest kind of news and politics. But covering business for the first time really made me very interested in business stories. And specifically, how did people think about creating products? What was it that motivated them to start a business? So I loved thinking about that. And so that led me into a job on Wall Street and ultimately to business school. And I always thought I would learn more about business and go back into media, maybe work on the business side of media. And after business school, I just never did. I stayed in business after all that. So it was good training and definitely worth it, but it put me on a different path. Yeah, I guess life had a different idea of what you were going to be doing. But I'll tell you, like, super cool because, you know, you go to J.P. Morgan Chase and now you're the head of this really cool program, Women on the Move. So I'd love just to talk a little bit about your corporate trajectory because I know that can be pretty daunting to navigate sometimes and how you ended up with, in my opinion, is the coolest job at the company, (laughs) you know? So I've been at the company for eight years. When I came in, I was running credit card strategy in our retail bank. I had a long background in the card and payment industry. And so that was a great place for me to come in. And very often coming into a business in a strategy role is the right place to be. You see things across the business, you get to look at different problems and you meet a lot of people. So that was a wonderful way to come into the bank. About a year and a half into that, I actually made a transition into our commercial bank, which is one of our four lines of business. And I became the CMO of that business. And so I ran marketing, communications, client experience. And that was wonderful because that part of the business obviously did a lot with cards and payments. So I brought that kind of background. But it was very client focused, very focused on middle market lending around the country and in fact the world with bigger businesses as well. And then also a big real estate business. And so it's a wonderful part of the bank to be in because I was able to work with so many businesses across the spectrum of industries. And I really loved that role and was there for five years, very happy there. 
And probably toward the end of that five years, I heard that Jamie and others were thinking about how to really take our efforts for women to the next level. So the bank had been doing a lot of things for women for many years. We had volunteer groups for women for decades. We had a lot of client focus on women, but no one person was running all of those things. It was sort of all over the bank, pieces and parts, and no one was pulling it together in the center. So when I heard Jamie was actually going to put together a full-time team against this, make it someone's full-time job, I raised my hands and I said, I'd love to do that work. You know, it's something I'd been doing really off the side of my desk for a long time at night. And to be able to do this full-time was really very special. I mean, it must be really exciting to kind of find that passion piece and to be able to, because there, there are not many roles like this in companies. There's certainly a lot of volunteer roles. So what is your mission with this role with Women on the Move? So we have three areas of focus. One is to help our business clients, and that's any client from a small business owner all the way up to women in the C-suite of a major public company. But we have a special place in our hearts for female small business owners because they're the engine of the economy and many women are creating businesses. And we know that women need access to capital and to more help and content to grow and launch businesses. So we're very focused on that. And in fact, we have a huge goal against this, which is to lend $10 billion to women business owners over the span of three years. And we're right now in year two. We're on track with our first year numbers in terms of what we wanted to extend credit-wise. And so we feel really good about that. And what I love about this is going back to my interest in business and stories and the people behind it, this allows us to go out there and talk to and find female entrepreneurs all over the country who are starting businesses who have a passion for creating something, launching something, helping their communities. So I particularly love this one part of what I get to do because of who I get to meet and help. Our second area of focus is around consumers, female consumers, and really helping women feel a lot more confident about their financial health. And more importantly, helping them to save more and invest more. You know, we see in our own data that women do not have the same levels of savings and investments as men do. And so we really want to help women prepare for their financial futures and be a lot more secure in their lives. Especially with the largest transference of wealth happening. Women are holding the purse strings in more ways than ever before. You're going to inherit more money. They run their households like the CFOs. They make a lot of the financial decisions there and they tend to outlive the men. And so at some point, women will be asked and will have to take financial responsibility for themselves and their families. So we really want to help them with that. And our third area is helping the women here at JPMorgan Chase get more women in the bank, have them stay longer and really rise to more senior level positions. So I get to work with a lot of employees globally and interact with people around the world who are really dedicated to this effort. You know, it's an exciting time, I think, to be in that space where you're also looking internally. You know, a lot of companies are diving into this because there's such a huge talent shortage. And I'm sure you know this is that, you know, women and diverse employees, the attrition is so high, they're leaving at such a high rate and it's really becoming a crisis. So really being able to develop that talent and create a space, you know, where women can thrive is critically important as a business objective, quite frankly. Exactly. No, really is a key business driver. We do very well at our entry level where we're having offers out 50% to women in some of our analysts and associate classes. So that's been a great part of the chain, if you will, of different right. levels. And at our senior most levels, half of our operating committee is women. And we love that. These are the best women in the industry. You know, each one of them is just so superb and unique. Where we find we have more opportunities right in the middle. So where we look at vice president level roles, you know, maybe people who've been here six plus years 
years in mid, in mid career. That's where we see more women starting to leave. But you know what? They're not leaving to stay at home with their families. They leave for other opportunities. And so we want them to stay here and we want to help them grow. We have a better pipeline into more of the senior level jobs. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a rule that I've heard you talk about, and I want you to talk to our listeners about this. You've coined the 35-1 rule. Tell us what it's about and what you hope to accomplish by implementing this rule. So we've had this in place for several years now, even before I came on and formalized Women on the Move. So it's been around to help encourage networking and mentoring among women. So when you think about 35-1, we try to ask people to do this every week. Spend 30 minutes a week with an up-and-coming woman, a woman in your network, someone who you can mentor and help coach on their job, you know, get to know a little bit better. Then spend five minutes a week congratulating a woman on something that she has achieved and accomplished. So really help her look at her accomplishments in a very flattering light. And then spend one minute a week talking about a woman to someone else and talking about her accomplishments so that you're helping to build her reputation and her brand. So we think, you know, 36 minutes a week is really not a lot of time (laughs) to spend helping women in the company and really giving back to them. So it's a very easy tool. We've had speed meetings where we do 30-minute, you know, group mentorings together. And then, of course, we let people go and do this on their own. So it's been very effective. Well, and it's super powerful just to break it down like that because, you know, if everybody just did a little bit, we would see literally a 180 shift. I really believe that. And I think that the one I love is the one minute where you're talking about a woman to someone else or making that introduction. Because I always tell women not to worry about, oh, how might this affect me? Or, oh, if I introduce this might lessen an opportunity. The influencer always wins. The person who is introducing, who is recommending, who is promoting others always rises to the top. If all women would do that, I truly believe we would make significant progress. No, I agree. And really helping someone else build their brand is so important. You often don't think that that's necessarily your job, but you can certainly influence it. I think this is a good reminder that a little can go a long way. Absolutely. That's great. So let's switch gears a little bit. You are a working mom, like many of us out there. Yes, hair on fire. (laughs) Now you have three children. I bow down to you. And you have two boys and a girl. Is that right? Yeah. Um, So tell me just a little bit about how you sort of model and teach them about equality in the workplace and even equality in their everyday lives. So I think by the fact that I even go to work, have a job outside of the home, work full time, I really try to model that for my kids, all of them, the boys and my daughter, so they can see that mommy also has something outside of the home uh, professionally that she does, that I'm proud of that work. I talk to them about the work that I do now, try to make it really tangible for them. And you know, they see that I'm also as committed as their dad. And so together we have you know, great robust discussions about what each of us do. I also bring my daughter in to events where we have things for women and my husband too. So she's been literally able to see the programming that we put on. She's very young, but I think she can see that kind of excitement and she sees other women around me in the office. You know, even on subjects that are more relevant to them, I try to really discuss gender equality with them all the time. This is especially relevant to my younger son who's six, who will often say, oh, mommy, that toy is for a boy. It's blue or that's for a girl, it's pink. And I will constantly tell him there's no such thing as a toy for either boys or girls or a color. And I would remind him that pink used to be a very popular color for boys. 
Hey, my husband wears pink all the time. He loves it. <laughs> exactly, as they should. So, you know, I really just want to get into those very early stereotypes that kids see around them. I'm a true believer in this. You know, early, early societal influences are so important. And I want to get in there and just really cut that off when I can. And, you know, for my daughter in particular, I'm so focused on her liking math, staying good at math, being engaged in science, because those are the subjects that girls tend to drop out of and lose interest in at a, at a young age. And so I want to keep all of them as interested in these things as long as possible. Oh, that's wonderful. And just kind of on a similar subject, as a mom, you've encountered kind of some blatant, I guess, discrimination or pretty frustrating situation when you came back from one of your maternity leaves. And I'm wondering if you would share that with us and just kind of talk about you know, how companies might avoid these situations in the future. Yeah, so this was at a prior employer, not a J.P. Morgan Chase, and it was with my first child and my first maternity leave, which I did take. And when I was out on leave, I heard that my boss was dismantling my job, restructuring it away, taking away my team, my budget, and my mandate, and really leaving me with no job to come back to. And probably what felt worse is that he was making bets with people as to whether I was even going to come back to work and really making assumptions that I didn't want to work or didn't have to work or whatever the case may be. That was incredibly frustrating and jarring for me. I had never been in a situation like that before. I hadn't expected that. And so when I came back, I really had to set the course straight that I was back. I was committed. And I was going to need a new job because I was not going to be working for that manager. And it did take some time, but that's exactly what did happen. And I ended up with a great role that I really did enjoy. And I think really communicated that it was unacceptable behavior, that no boss should ever do that. I think there's very straightforward things companies can do to avoid situations like that. First of all is talk to your women who are going to be out of maternity leave this should not be a surprise that many women will go out on maternity leave at some point in their careers. And I think managers really have to have the conversations with the women who are going out around, how are we going to set you up for success when you're back? How are we going to transition your work while you're away? This role will be here for you. And we're going to get going when you come back as if you haven't left. Now, obviously you want to talk post child around whether there's new responsibilities, obligations, need for flexibility. I think you have to have that conversation as well. Uh, but I think the most important thing is to have this upfront before someone takes a leave and then be very prepared when they come back to also be working things through because things might have changed in terms of someone's situation and the demands on their time. Yeah. And certainly, you know, vis-a-vis -vis wanting to keep women and advance them in a company where they sort of start to fall off that broken rung, if you will, often happens around the time that they're childbearing years. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, you do see that. And a lot of women will say they become much more productive once they've had children because they know their time is so precious, want to get things done during the day. And they're very willing to, you know, step out, go home, be with their family, and then maybe log back on or bring some work home with them. So I think we just have to really challenge our notions of what it means to work, work hard, work a day's length, and make sure that we're doing the right thing for people. I always say, I believe that the more children you have, the more efficient you are. It's like crazy town. There's a woman in town who I've tried to hire so many times and we've gotten close. I love her. She's got five children. Oh, goodness. I mean, and she travels all the time. And then I watch her on Facebook and she's out at the hiking the nature thing. And I'm like, how do you do all that? I've never seen anybody more amazing. And I'm always in awe of her. She's just one example of so many.
So I will say the efficiencies hopefully can come from when your kids are like ages. You know, I like to bundle my two older ones together and make them one unit and sort of have one adult against them and one adult against the little one. It can work depending on what you're working with. Well, and speaking of just women and banding together and kind of those support networks we need as women and working moms, of course, there's research out now, not like we haven't known this for years, but the research now states that, you know, women who have strong posse of women who have been supporting them throughout their career and encouraging them are in the highest positions. They are the ones who are making it to the top. And so you, uh, throughout your career, had a group called the Couch Club. And I would just love for you to talk a little bit about that and what that has meant to you and to your career. So maybe about 10 years ago or so, I started to get very close with a number of women at work. We started to come together on a monthly basis for this Couch Club discussion. It really just was dinner on a monthly basis altogether. Why is it called the Couch Club? Well... It was almost like a therapy session because you got to be with, you know, women like-minded who are supporting you and why have therapy when you had each other? But it was also very entertaining too, you know, going out and having a good time. But I think the really important part of this is we were able to share the challenges and the stresses of our day-to-day and what it was like to work, you know, in that company where we were. And often you really need that. You know, I have a very supportive spouse and he'll listen to me all day long, but it's something about sharing this with women, also people you work with who can just see things maybe a bit differently. They understand other people involved and they can really provide just such a great, well-rounded perspective. And so we would meet, you know, very uh, regularly. In fact, as soon as one dinner was over, we would schedule the next so we knew it was happening. We'd really look forward to these things. And I would almost save up the things that I wanted to discuss with them. You know, okay, I know <laughs> next month I'm going to talk to them about X, Y, Z. And it was so helpful just to hear from different people and get that lens outside of yourself that you don't always get. We right. remain very good friends, even though two of us left the company and two of them are still there. Uh, but we remain in very close contact and still try to do this whenever we can. Mm, That's awesome. Well, and I'm always telling women, you know, when they ask, you know, what can I do? The fastest way for you to help your career is to find that group of women that find that support network, find the people who will make introductions for you and who will really support you along the way because it's absolutely critical. So thank you. So I'd love for you just to talk about your, I know that you've had some worst career advice, which was, you know, just do a good job and people will notice which I do agree that is probably about the worst career advice, but I'm sure so many of our listeners have gotten that advice. I've gotten that advice and I've even thought that at some time, right? You grow up thinking that, well, just, you know, keep your nose down, do a good job and teachers will notice how good you are and everything. And it doesn't really translate into the workplace, does it? Yeah. And especially in a male dominated workplace, I would imagine. So I would just love for you to just kind of talk about, you know, what women should be doing besides just doing that good job. Obviously that's important, but what else? That is just the baseline. You're expected to do a good job. Everybody is going to be doing a good job if you want to get ahead. So I think that's just like the minimal we can, you know, expect to do. I think what you have to realize is that when you're there in your cubicle, sitting with your head down, doing a good job, someone around you, one of your colleagues is basically going to your boss and in the office saying, listen, I want another challenge. I'm ready for the next job. I want a promotion. How am I going to get paid this year? Someone somewhere is asking your boss for things. And if it's not you, someone else will be getting and asking for these things. So you have to realize that the doing a good job, you know, put that aside. You also have to cultivate relationships. Think of developing your brand. I don't want to say selling yourself in a bad way, but you have to make your intentions known. You have to make your ambitions known. And you have to be talking to those around you all the time. Your boss, 
and others. So my better piece of advice is really you have to cultivate a network around you in addition to doing that good job. And really you should be thinking about a sponsor above all who can help you. And they're the ones who have the opportunities to put you in, the stretch assignments to put you in. They'll have your back. They'll advocate for you. These are folks who are really in positions where they can do that for you. I like to compare them to mentors. Mentors are great. Anyone can be a mentor. You're a colleague, a more junior person to you. You know, anyone can help you with a certain problem. But it's the sponsor who's really going to pull you up and give you that next opportunity and have your back as you progress in your career. So as you're kind of doing your good work, make sure you are finding those people who can help you. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's interesting because, of course, we interview a lot of entrepreneurs. So I love hearing the corporate point of view because this idea of sponsorship was born out of the corporate environment of someone who really watches over your career. But there's certainly no reason that entrepreneurial women can't find those people who will make kind of introductions, who will really help them guide over their career as well. So I love sort of the distinction between mentorship and sponsorship as well. So thank you for that. Kind of as we're wrapping up here, since you're deep in this space and in the corporate world and and from that perspective, what do you see as the biggest hurdles that are facing women in that corporate workspace specifically? And how can groups like Women on the Move and other resource groups, you know, we have employee resource groups in other big companies, that's a pretty common thing, but how can those groups really help move the needle for women? So I think two of the biggest things we have to still grapple with are one, entrenched bias and two, caregiving responsibilities. Entrenched bias is something that, you know, I don't even mean to imply this negatively, but everyone has a bias. We're hardwired as humans with biases. And one of those biases is around, we tend to like things that are familiar to us and that we know. So if somebody looks more like you or has the same background as you, you tend to gravitate toward them. When you talk about that first rung of the ladder, as you mentioned, the broken rung that women are just not getting the first promotions early enough, I think there's bias in the system where male early managers, junior managers, are just not tapping the women to the same degree as the men. They may not even be aware of it, but it's happening and it's very hard to dislodge. So that bias is something we all have to get around and our HR partners and our managers and all of our leaders have to really work daily to sort of ferret that out and address it. The caregiving piece just burdens women to a greater degree than men. And I think as women progress in their careers, maybe they've made that first promotion, they got over that rung, but ultimately many of them will have caregiving responsibilities. They will take more of that on for themselves. And that will just potentially make them have less time in the office or you know, someone will question their commitment. And so getting our arms around the caregiving piece is going to be critical. And not just for women, by the way, but for men too. I think men would welcome more time at home and more time with their families and pitch in if asked. So I say this really to help both men and women to come together to figure out you know, a better long-term solution to caregiving. And groups like Women on the Move and other kind of ERG groups, you know, how do you think that they help women overcome these things? I mean, yeah. is it confidence? Is it networks? Is it, you know, what are all of the above? Yeah. So our employee resource group for Women on the Move, which is exceptionally strong, by the way, it's 40,000 people around the world. So we are very lucky to have so many people dedicated, and that includes men too. They're helping each other because women in every country that we operate in are taking the reins to put on events, to do networking events, to speak with each other, to reach out and collaborate with each other. So we see great opportunities just on the work front for them to be doing things. But that networking piece, the social piece is so important. As you meet other people, 
you hear about different jobs, you see what they're doing, what they're capable of. And I think it starts to help you see different futures for yourself as well. So I love these groups. We have groups for really different functions and regions and businesses. And we try to come together wherever we can, you know, globally to share great content and speakers. So I say they're very well worth it. That's awesome. And y'all are leading the way, doing great work at J.P. Morgan Chase. So thank you for that. As a woman out there, I appreciate it. I just want to do, as we close up, just two real quick questions, just to get to know a little bit about you. This is our speed round, but I'm going to do an abbreviated speed round because we're going long, but I know people are going to want to know a little bit about you. So what does your morning routine look like? I try to exercise. If it doesn't get done early, it doesn't get done. And then I try to scramble to make sure my kids know where they're going and what they're doing. And then I race out the door. (laughs) <laughs> Notice the word scramble and race. I love that. Always scramble. Always <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. We're, we're all doing that. What are you currently reading or listening to? So I just finished The Moment of Lift, which is Melinda Gates' mm-hmm. book. This is near and dear to my heart. And I just mm-hmm. love how she breaks down very core parts of life for women and the rights that women really need to attain in order to further themselves, whether it's reproductive rights, rights of when to marry, rights of working, and her travels around the world and seeing this in so many different cultures, so many different socioeconomic levels is so inspiring that I feel like I must continue to move forward and try to do this. It is a tremendous book and gives you such a bigger perspective on what this women's movement is. And in fact, I got it from someone at JP Morgan because it was part of your book club. You do that real cool book club, right? (laughs) Yes. Somebody gifted it to me. So it was so nice. I got it from you. So thank you for that. That's the reason I got to read it. I also want to talk about another book that I recently read, which is called Fair Play by Eve Rodsky. Eve used to work at J.P. Morgan Chase. She's a mediator and a lawyer, and she has written this fantastic book about how to better divide up responsibilities in the home with your spouse, partner, and how to deal what she calls the different cards, you know, home life um, in a more equitable way. And so I definitely recommend this to people who are struggling with that work-life balance at home. I think men will absolutely respond, and it's just a hilarious and helpful book. Awesome. Thank you for that. Great advice. All right. Last question. What's one thing you can't live without? Can I say my family or is that too trite? <laughs> you can say your family. I mean, I feel terrible because I say wine, but you know. That's <laughs> I, I might say diet, peach, snapple, and my family. Oh, diet, peach, snapple, and your family. Excellent. Well, Sam, thank you so much. This has really been a wonderful discussion. I love your perspective. And we're all jealous that you get such a really cool job. And we're excited to watch and just see how this grows and expand and how you change the lives of women everywhere. So thank you. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be speaking with you. Special thanks again to J.P. Morgan Chase's Women on the Move program for sponsoring this podcast and showcasing some of their incredible female leaders. 